passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Way take the mic. It is John Pollock and waiting. Welcome to the Thanksgiving edition of Rewind to Raw. Hello, Way. Happy Thanksgiving. If uh, is technically still Canadian Thanksgiving. Sure is. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving to you, John. Did you make a uh, turkey? Um, no, no turkey. I did have um, chicken. Okay, <laughs> that's that's perfectly acceptable. Yeah. How about you? Uh, yes, we made uh, we made turkey on Sunday, so that was our uh, our event of the day so okay how was it this year uh it was good it was good it was uh it was a low turnout for uh, a variety of reasons uh both both covid and uh and otherwise related but uh we, we still had a good time uh a little a little chaotic by by the end uh but everyone is okay now <laughs> that is all i will say okay i can't wait to hear about that wow yeah, sounds like there's a big story there uh, some some chaos, but all, all all's well that ends well uh, by the end. But anyway, uh, you had a good weekend. You had a a nice relaxing couple of days. I mean, I don't know how relaxing. I mean, I had some family over today as well, and um, it's it's honestly never that that relaxing trying to coordinate, you know, a, like a newborn sleep schedule with like a human's regular schedule, you know. So um, so yeah, I wouldn't say too relaxing, but you know, good. Like it's 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 nice to have some family time. So yeah, well. On the lineup tonight, we are going to be going through Raw from Brooklyn, New York at the Barclays Center. We're going to be chatting a, a bunch of news items and uh, what is coming up on the site this week. But we are going to start off with some big news way. As people may know, with calendars handy, 
Post Wrestling is turning five years old. And what are we going to be doing to celebrate such a momentous occasion? Well, Waiting is going to take his chaotic day-to-day life, and he is going to get on a plane, as will I. And we are going back on the road for a live post-wrestling five-year birthday celebration coming up over Full Gear Weekend. A live show in person, Newark, New Jersey, taking place at the QXT Nightclub. This will be on Saturday, November the 19th, and tickets Go on sale this Wednesday. Uh, we will have all of that information up for you uh, in the next day or so. But tickets will be on sale through postwrestling.com this coming Wednesday. A live show way with you, myself, and some of your other favorite post-wrestling personalities. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while since we've done any sort of live event, you know, with us. So um, certainly before the pandemic. So um it it'll be great to do it right before full gear. Um, I believe we're at a place that's only like, I don't know, a few minutes walk away. So this will be 1 PM uh, Eastern time in the afternoon. We'll have everybody out right. Um, certainly with a plenty of time to spare before full gear begins. So if you're going to be in Newark, New Jersey, or if you're not and want to make it a, you know, a, a longer, a bit of a longer day, you have a bit of extra incentive with a post wrestling five year anniversary show. Yeah, so we'll have uh, plenty of time to remind people about the show that is coming up next month. Uh, But tickets will go on sale Wednesday. Uh, We will have uh, general admission tickets that gets you the entire Q&A portion. And then we will also have VIP tickets for a a meet and greet uh, that will come after the Q&A portion. So uh, whatever capacity you would like to attend, we hope to see as many of you out there as possible. And it's a very quick walk to the Prudential Center where Full Gear will be taking place later that night in newark new jersey the return to the great state of new jersey way it's it's been a while yes i've i've been counting the days all right so there you go that is our our fifth anniversary celebration also a more low-key get together is coming up this wednesday for any of you that are in or around the toronto area that are attending dynamite on wednesday night way and i are meeting up for coffee this wednesday at 5 p.m at the local tim hortons inside liberty village at 171 east liberty street i have already heard uh from some people that i know will be attending this so it won't be just you and i way uh so we will be we will be hanging out drinking coffee and just chilling out. This is going to be the most informal uh, get-together uh, you could possibly imagine. And then we will be walking over to the Coca-Cola Coliseum uh, for Dynamite that night. So uh, for listeners that are used to just tuning in to Rewind to Dynamite, we'll probably be about an hour later than usual on Wednesday night. So let's aim for 11 p.m. Eastern that we will be live. That will give me enough time to uh, get home. Uh, but we are doing a full show Wednesday night, so we'll have my live perspective. And you are watching it at home correct yeah i'll be heading back home to watch the show so i'll i I can handle the notes that night john you know i want you to go there have a good time and then uh we'll come back and do the live show at 11 p.m or 11 or so um thereabouts yes i will be the guy sitting by himself uh taking it all in so oh (laughs) hey who wants to sit next to john pollock i'm sure there's plenty of uh you know people who love to take that take that offer well that's that's coming up wednesday and uh if you 
would are in uh, Toronto on Wednesday. Afterwards, Braden and Davey are doing their after party after Dynamite at Sneaky D's. So you can jump on the streetcar and go up to College and Bathurst. It's pretty close by, especially if you jump on the streetcar. Uh, they are going to be going into the wee hours of Thursday morning. Uh, karaoke, chops probably, and... Do get the King's Crown nachos, but tell them absolutely, under no circumstances, do you want anything resembling beans in those nachos. Oh, get the beans. Are you kidding me? Come on. You got to get the beans. Don't let them talk you into the, the chili either because there's beans in the chili. So Ugh. know what to order. The wings, very underrated at Sneaky D's as well. Uh, you could even go for the, the milkshake. It is on the menu, and it's worth the uh, couple dollars. I don't know about that personally, but I, I, I can't vouch for the milkshake. I can't vouch for Braden and Davey and uh, what great hosts that they are. So whether you're joining us in New Newark uh, or, or New York, you know, for full gear or tomorrow in, in Dynamite before the show or after the show, plenty of opportunities to hang out with the post wrestling crew. Uh, wherever you are in the world. You can't get enough of us in person with all of these events coming up this week. And uh, we won't uh, we won't belabor the promotion, but uh, this week on the Post Wrestling Cafe, I want to make mention that over the weekend, uh, we did a Bound for Glory post show with myself and uh, John Ceno. And I, I thought actually Friday's pay-per-view was a very strong show, but it does kind of tell you the the amount of attention that impact gets even for its quote-unquote biggest show of the year i didn't sense too much uh, buzz for the show even though I, I thought it was a very very good event on friday night that is up there we did our extreme rules post show on saturday and then today i did a recap of the declaration of power show that new japan presented we'll go through some of those keynotes uh coming out of that show as well. But Wayne and I are trying something new on Tuesday that we are going to be releasing for our Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso members at postwrestlingcafe.com. It is my favorite subject to engage in. It's small talk. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, we I mean, you know, it's something we'd like to do for our uh, Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso patrons. These are people who pledged to us at $12 and above and typically um, just out of the goodness of their hearts. So we're doing... If you like, we've, talk, we've moved some stuff around over over the year, and we're trying to like even out uh, distribution of things. So this is how the show is going to start out at, at these levels, and this will typically be kind of non wrestling uh, discussion that the show will be geared around. For people who like talk, um, we're going to talk a little bit more, but maybe in smaller doses, uh, just for just for double 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 ice cap and espresso patients. So look for that in your audio feed sometime tomorrow. And then uh, MCU later. She-Hulk is coming. Uh, we're, we're winding down. Episode 9 this week of 10, I believe. It's the finale. Oh, it is the finale this week. Yes, it is. Yeah. Very significant episode then. It's the season finale of MCU Later. Thursday night with WH and Rich Fan. And then Friday night, Way and I will be live with Rewind to SmackDown, where we only have three hours of wrestling to go through. How did you enjoy the four hours plus a two-and-a-half-hour post-show afterward, Way, on Friday? <laughs> I mean, it was a long exercise, but, um, you know, I was glad to have Kate with me. Um, we, we went about two and a half hours just talking about all those shows. So, uh, I'll be doing that. I'll also be joining Nate Milton on MCU later this week with Rich Fan and WH as well. So a lot of stuff out there for Post Wrestling Cafe. Okay. All of that can be found at postwrestling.com and we'll move over to some of the news items and, uh, blitz through these. So let's start off with MJF. He has been doing the media rounds. It seems way like every week. It seems there is a extended MJF interview, uh, Ariel Hawani doing some, uh, he was on barstool last week. Well, today an interview with Sam Roberts, uh, popped up and I guess the most notable 
aspect that was discussed was double or nothing weekend back in May, which uh, MJF spoke about to, to my knowledge, the first time he's ever kind of really discussed with any kind of depth what was going on that weekend and the meet and greet that he was advertised for did not show up for and he stated that on that day by him missing that meet and greet his company AEW lost ten thousand dollars and his words were that the reason he did not go was because his boss Tony Khan was being quote a fucking mark and basically stating that he wanted to be paid what he is worth and now he is but it was such a serious um, concern of AEW's that they had their security perform a wellness check going to his hotel room and they were going to like break the door down. But MJF explained that he had already left the hotel room at that point and uh, did not kind of go any further to that of why they would necessarily have that concern. Um, but others, you know, he was mentioning some believing like this was him just playing Brian Pillman. Um but this was, you know, as much uh, kind of depth as MJF has at least gone into uh, that weekend, which I'm sure has uh, many, many layers to what all happened uh, during those couple of days. And then ultimately doing the pay-per-view and the following TV before the uh, going off television for all those months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the the wellness check aspect of it, I, I can understand. You know, I can understand that being the first sort of instinct of, of a promoter if somebody decides to no-show. It is... Uh... Unfortunately, you know, something that's kind of been um, met with with some precedence. But um, as is usual with all of these MGF interviews, anytime he talks about contracts and, and you know, specific, uh, I don't know, negotiations, I, I don't exactly know how much to believe. And it's almost at the point now where, you know, he's he is a big bad wolf where he can. Is that the right one? Sorry. What's the, what's the, the boy who cried wolf? The boy who cried wolf. I apologize. Got my analogies mixed up. Um, where like he could be telling the truth, you know, this whole time, and and it might be revealed as such a couple of years from now that he he's been telling the truth exactly. But I mean, he does it in such a way that it, it you could also see it as a character speaking. Well, it's 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 a pretty lengthy interview uh, that he has up there. I did not see all of it, but that was the uh, the most notable uh, aspect I think of the interview. Uh, John Moxley, I know that you guys discussed this on Friday, signing a new five-year contract with AEW. So it was very interesting that there was a period of time that he was a free agent over this summer and ended up dropping the title to Nick Gage on, uh, was it Saturday night, in the title versus career match. And as part of the five-year deal in the announcement, AEW stated that he will be exclusively wrestling for AEW and its international partners. And this has brought about the natural question of what this means for John Moxley's future on the independent scene. Well, Fightful is reporting that Moxley can still work indies, but it's believed that it will be on a, quote, surprise basis when it happens. And they added in their report that GCW side um, believed that AEW did not want Moxley to work the show and, in fact, not have not wanted AEW talent to work GCW shows for months. So it's an interesting question that if Moxley is going to be doing these independent dates, I mean, for the promoter, the promotional aspect of it, you know, him showing up as a surprise, it's a cool pop and all, but it kind of negates the purpose of what a John Moxley can do for these independent companies. If he's not going to be in a position where you can promote it in advance and sell any more tickets uh, to your show. It's just a 
either he's going to do it for a bargain price or it's an expense that you can't truly capitalize on with with a surprise if he's if he's not doing a comeback that you can promote if it is going to play out as exactly that it almost feels like that's a a restriction that is done on purpose so another promotion can't necessarily use the value of a John Moxley to sell a pay-per-view for instance or even like you know push ticket sales and instead might just offer him as a nice little bonus um i i i wonder how they're exactly going to enforce that and and how exactly they're going to you know these other promotions might be able to hint at surprises without explicitly saying that it's going to be John Moxley how far can they push it you know we got a guy appearing he's Name rhymes with Mon Joxley. Um, I, I don't know. Um, it's it's a very unique situation and, and one in which um, I don't know if we've necessarily seen before because a guy like John Moxley and, and really a lot of talents in AEW have kind of free reign to at least, you know, do a lot of other indies. And um, I don't know, maybe he'll, he'll be transitioning more to, you know, um, a typical full-timer AEW deal. What would you assume is the aversion that uh, AEW has specific to game changer wrestling. I, that I don't know. That report from uh, that little tidbit from Fightful was a bit surprising to me. I mean, in terms of like, I maybe you can assume um, some of the danger in the match styles might be uh, a hindrance. Um, but then AEW does. They got a lot of flack over the weekend for that that Jimmy Lloyd spot with the uh, with the unprotected chair shots over the weekend. And I, I watched that, and I'm, I'm trying to you know at the same time this story is coming out and. I'm thinking of myself in in the shoes of AEW stating here is a guy that we have seven figures invested in on an annual basis. And this is a guy that we have seen on the shows does some crazy stuff. And sometimes it's almost, you know, sending him out to companies that will have the safety of that performer in mind. And, you know, wrestlers are going to have crazy ideas and sometimes it's on the promoter to kind of rein them in and make sure that you do not see scenes like that. And for those that missed it, this was Jimmy Lloyd just taking chair shot after chair shot to the head while he's tied up in the ropes. And I'm just watching that. It's like, do I want to send one of my guys to this environment where he might want to do something crazy and they're just going to, um, absolutely. This is, this is fantastic. Like what risk are we, um, are, are we assuming by you know sending a John Moxley to do so, some of these d- dangerous matches where the guy could get hurt at the at the very least, and that's that's going to be a concern you're going to have with with any company. But you know, you see a clip like that, it's like, do you want your your talent going there and and and, and seeing and seeing your big performer in a spot like that? Yeah, to me, it's part of the reason why I think, you know, this Mox GCW run has been so, um, I don't know, kind of unique. It's like on the surface, you wouldn't expect a, a company with national TV with so much riding on a guy who, you know, is, is their top guy really um, doing the types of matches that he was doing out in other parts for other promotions that, that AEW is not going to benefit from. So I can understand why they would want to shut shut that down. You know, if there's anything more to the GCW AEW relationships that we're not aware of. Um, it's that's possible too, but I, I wouldn't be able to speak on it. So 
a five-year deal. Are, are you surprised at all of, of the length? I think it's great for AEW to get that amount of, of term for John Moxley. And it certainly tells me that, that John Moxley is not looking at playing the, the free agency game. I think that he, you know, that this was a very quiet story. It's not like this was out there that, hey, for, John Moxley is a free agent and going to the highest bidder. Like this was kept very quiet and then, you know, signs his deal. And it's a, it's a very long-term one when for many wrestlers in this current climate, I mean, you could you could really dictate your your term and and play that game. It doesn't seem that he is interested in that because this will yeah. take him to after his 40th birthday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. The, um, I, for him, not so much because, like, I mean, he seems very much like a guy who doesn't really like to play these sort of political games and probably doesn't want to have the public speculate so much about it in, in the way that we t- we tend to do with with every wrestler who, whose contract is, is coming up. Um, he said his piece about the WWE plenty of times, and I just I don't know how much, you know. And you, you never say never, of course, right? Um, with, with the man wanting to return, especially for money, but he also doesn't necessarily seem to be driven by just money. So, um, it, it's a move that I think seems to make sense for him and for AEW. I mean, you, th- this is the ideal person that you want leading your locker room. Declaration of Power took place today. Again, I have a whole review of the show up for Post Wrestling Cafe members, uh, about a 40-minute rundown of all of the matches on the show. The key news coming out of it is that we do have our main event set for Wrestle Kingdom 17 with Jay White defending the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship against Kazuchika Okada. Jay White retained against Tamatonga, where there was one near fall when Tamatonga hit the gun stun and way this crowd thought... Tamatonga is headlining the dome. So I would say if, if you could get that reaction from this crowd, then you, you have to look at that as a win. This was a very tough match on paper to sell to people. Um, and, and ditto Okada and Jonah. I think everyone knew what the outcomes were going to be here. It was predictable, but Okada and Jonah had another fantastic match. It wasn't their G1 match, but it wasn't too far off either. And Okada entered the ring at the end of the night, stood there with Jay White and noted how you know, with Antonio Noki's passing, one era is over, and we will determine who's going to lead the next era. So um, this Tokyo Dome is all going to be built around Antonio Noki. They are dedicating the show to Noki. They did a fantastic ceremony for him at the beginning of the show with the roster surrounding the ring. Uh, Seiji Sakaguchi was there to hold the photo of Noki, and then they played a video package with so many of his iconic moments and different rivalries that I believe New Japan has posted up for free on YouTube. I'd certainly recommend watching it it's it's a quick two three minute video package but some very cool moments that they included there and then you had um you know okada doing the anoki pose after his win takagi came out with the red scarf so i I think you will see lots of tributes from now through wrestle kingdom and anoki who they stated agreed to become their honorary chairman back on september 1st and it was going to be on today's show that they were going to make that public announcement and uh that then his passing occurred so it was a very nice ceremony at the start of all of this they also have added this was a huge problem that they needed to address and finally they are taking steps to address it the lack of championships they have introduced a new world television title with semifinals to take place november 5th and then determine the first champion on january 4th this will be focusing on younger talent with 15 minute time limits and this is pretty much designed to be New Japan's high-speed title that Stardom uses that get a lot of great reviews. But uh, number one way, the design of this title. I have seen a lot of criticism for this belt. What is your um, first reaction to 
this belt? Is this something that you would you would painstakingly work towards as a rising star in the New Japan roster to hold this belt above your waist? Um, I suppose if I had no other choice, yeah. Uh, but as a belt design, I, I think it's being right, rightfully you know criticized. I think it's atrocious. <laughs> it is a uh, it is ugly. You don't like the it URL is, on the belt? It, is that what it says? There is a URL, I believe, oh, uh, on, on some of the 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 lettering that's more yeah. le- less pronounced. It's basically, you know, the, the like a, a, an NJPW World logo. Um, I can't even look at the other text, but I, I don't know if it's meant to look like um, looks like a ring zoomed in. Like that's what it looks like, like a okay. giant ring. I um, yeah, I I think it looks like a back support. You know, turn the other way. You know, like an orthopedic back support. Um, flip the other I, way. I'm sure that was the instruction when they sat down. They're like, we want it to imagine. We want people to imagine orthopedic support. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think it's pretty bad. But I mean, listen, it's it's a championship. If these matches are hot, then a, a belt design is is not the the most important thing. Well. I, I don't want to uh, crush any any dreams way because I know you really enjoy this concept. You're one of the few. But after El Fantasma was forced to announce Shingo Takagi was in fact his daddy, Shingo Shingo's trophy was destroyed by El Fantasma, and I can only hope that this maybe means the end of at least one. Um, I, I would not necessarily a traditional title, but the elimination of something, and maybe. Um, I guess we also have a question mark about the status of the never open weight championship because its champion was on raw tonight and has a scheduled title defense November 5th in Carl Anderson. That is correct. Yeah. I mean, probably the biggest story to come out of tonight, right? Um, does, you know, can't the, this whole thing is very interesting, of course, uh, as we'll, we'll go on to discuss, but yeah, most interesting of which is the fact that Carl Anderson is still the uh, never open weight championship. Now we have to ask, does it, does it indicate some sort of working relationship between WWE and New Japan Pro Wrestling? I would be very surprised if this um, would mean a working relationship between the two. I would, again, without having any any facts out there, I, I would imagine that it, it was as simple as Carl was contractually able to do this. And I'll be but, very curious to see if he ends up doing this this date in November. I, well, I, I suppose I, I'd be surprised for anybody to burn a bridge with the company at um, at, at this point in, in professional wrestling, but especially with Carl Anderson and New Japan Pro Wrestling, you know, of which uh, a company that he seems to have incredible loyalty to. Um, I I just don't know if 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 I if I sense that he would just and and, and a company without- too that even under different leadership, like here are two guys that signed contracts and then they were cut. Like this would not be the company I would be placing all my faith into. And you, you very well may be right. Like perhaps he um, alerted new Japan. He was doing this. Uh, perhaps new Japan doesn't have a problem with this. I mean, maybe they are fine with their champion going on raw uh, with the promise that he is going to come and do this match in Osaka next month but um you know this is designed obviously for a program here and uh then that event that november 5th show is the same day as the saudi arabia show and i would think if you're starting off this angle uh they're probably going to be booked for saudi arabia you would think so Hmm. i i don't know if this november 5th show is going to happen and i don't know if we will see carl anderson in new japan again after after this it's um it was certainly the most interesting aspect of of monday's show it would be a very um, 
I mean, it's it's interesting either way, isn't it? You know, uh, and I'd, I'd feel bad for poor Hikaleo. Maybe they would just make him champion. Or it'll, it'll just be a vacant title and they'll put somebody else in that. What what, what does your gut say? Will Will Carl Anderson drop this title? Oh, um, why don't I mean, sure. Why not? Vince McMahon, WWE, not a prayer. There's not yeah. a prayer that he's dropping this title. Um, you know, we've seen, mm-hmm. you know, many, many situations like this. Alberto comes to mind when he was uh, still holding a title in Mexico. Um, yeah, we will see if if he does uh, drop this pelt. Uh, that would certainly tell you it's a very different philosophy on top of WWE if he is able uh, to do this. But a lot of that comes down to what um, what kind of agreement he has reached. But I mean, it. Working with New Japan certainly did not prevent Gallows and Anderson from making separate deals with Impact Wrestling. So obviously they are they are free to make their deals in 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 the U.S. And there are ways to drop titles that I I mean you know we just saw it with with uh, Moxley and GCW that obviously like won't have a too much of a negative impact on a guy you know on TV. Ratings from Friday night uh, SmackDown. It was the season premiere of the show, 2,243,000 viewers and a .54 in the demo, number one among network programming, but it was the uh, ESPN's coverage of the wildcard game that was number one on television. Not a whole lot of difference. They were identical in the demo from the week before, um, a little higher viewership overall, but not a big change. I would say going against Major League Baseball playoffs, the fact that they were even, I, I would take that as, as slightly a positive, but it was a more loaded show for your season premiere that maybe you were hoping for more of a bump uh, from the prior week, but it was against heavier sports competition rampage. So the first hour uh, from 10 till 11 did 404,000 viewers and a 0.13 in the demo, which is not a good rampage number in, in their normal time slot from 10 to 11, this would be the third lowest for a normal time slot, not taking into account the weeks when they got moved around to different times. So this was a bad Rampage number. Um, and Rampage was going against the baseball game. Battle of the Belts was not. The game had ended by 11. And Battle of the Belts did 317,000 viewers and a .10 in the demo. This would certainly be the lowest of the Battle of the Belts specials. And this was also well down. It, like The best comparison is to Grand Slam from a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. When that 11 o'clock hour... Um, they were down 35% in viewers from two weeks ago and down from a 0.16 to a 0.10 in 18 to 49. And I just don't feel this was a two hour slot of matches that the audience cared about in great amounts, especially that battle of the belt special. Um, I just don't think that FTR and gates of agony was drawing people in to stick around for that long. Um, it, comes down to what TNT views as a success at that late hour on Friday. Um, but it's, it certainly was not at the Grand Slam level of two weeks prior. And I am curious if we are going to see more of these experiments by because they clearly were happy enough with Grand Slam in that two hours to try this again this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think these results kind of tell you that it's not so much the um, the extra hour, nor even the fact that you ha- you have championships, but maybe more so the idea that um, um, a a show has importance um on it, like like you know in terms of um I, I star power, perhaps I, I can't exactly tell you the reason why, but for me at least, watching both hours of Rampage and Battle of the Belts, you know, you headline Battle of the Belts 
essentially with this FTR match with the Gates of Agony, who had only appeared on Rampage one time before, um, and no other time really, uh, at least in wrestling terms, on on AEW television. So um, they just kind of like kind of seemed like matches for the sake of matches, um, or title matches for the sake of matches, and probably weren't that enticing compared to you know um, maybe even Grand Slam. When this when Battle of the Belts began. There was an interest in this concept. If you go back to the first special this year, it was January 8th. And keep in mind, this special went against the NFL, okay? And they did 704,000 viewers, a .26 in the demo. Friday, we're down to 317 and a .10. And it's not like it was the most astounding lineup either for that first special. I mean, you had Dustin Rhodes against Sammy Guevara, Britt Baker against Riho, um, it's just each show has been less than the one prior. And I just wonder, um, you know, you would think like this Friday night uh, experiment. I, I just didn't think going in that it was going to be um, a big number it, in. It was not. So I, I don't know how much you reassess Battle of the Belts. Is it even enough of a priority that you really need to be focused on beefing this up when it seems like Rampage? We, we talk about that a lot. And it, should that be more of a, of a concern? rather than uh, Battle of the Belts, which is just seems like it's an extra hour of programming. And that's sort of how the audience has learned to accept these specials. Yeah, I, for me, it's it's more so I think their, their overall, I don't know, um, storytelling philosophies that I feel like they have to take a look at. You know, they have a lot of TV time and a lot of matches that just seem to be made for the sake of having good matches. And that's well and good. But I also feel like it's not working. You know, if you're trying to attract a bigger audience than even the hardcores, which who seem to mm, not care enough about just good matches without storytelling. I think you have a very healthy audience that buys the pay-per-views that go to the pay-per-views like they might hit their fifth million dollar gate next month for full gear and watch Dynamite like those properties. Very, very healthy. And mm-hmm. it's creating additional content, which is the whole name of the game now. I think that is the part where it is is trying to extend that that demand as at the same rate we're increasing the supply of programming. Like it seems like your average viewer, they will buy a pay-per-view four or five times a year. They will watch Dynamite two hours a week. You want above and beyond that, it, it's going to take something special. And it's hard sometimes to um, – allocate that that specialness and it it goes to show you like the struggle of wwe to keep their programming um compelling enough when you're talking about even more hours each week of programming Mm -hmm. hey we have a few super chats here that are just relevant to all of this uh you know carl anderson stuff so i I wanted to maybe just get to them right now uh first we got a muggin yusuf who says with gallows and anderson returning tonight does the never open weight title become vacant or will carl do the honors for hikuleo on 11-5 uh, yeah, we kind of we kind of discussed some of that. Thank you for the support uh, again, Megan. Um, we shall see. Ryan T has uh, actually identified that New Japan has retweeted the Good Brothers on Raw clip. So uh, I I haven't been able to find it myself, but at least a couple people mentioned it in the chat. So does that tell you anything, John? I I, I don't read um, that as confirmation of anything. Um, I, I guess it it's noteworthy. Um, I wouldn't necessarily take that as you know. Um, you know, uh, confirmation though of, uh, of anything, but yeah, certainly people will be looking at that no- November 5th title. Like if he, if he comes back and, and does the show great. Um, but there it is. You, you would, you would also think so. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's acknowledging yeah. it. It could be something. 
It it could be not. But yeah, you would think, I think for Carl Anderson's sake, like I, I don't think you're doing this just cold, like going on this. I, I don't think mm-hmm. that would be a, a prudent business move for him. Um, but the question will really be just, you know, it, him being able to go back and, and drop this title. Like that has not been the WWE's, uh, that has not been there from their playbook uh, all these years. It's like once you're in, uh, you're done, and you're not going out and dropping titles or um, or fi- fi- finishing up like that. But it is a very different regime, and I'm also very curious to see if you know somebody like a Jay White will continue to to play with this and and somehow use it as part of his storyline. Is this in their story? Carl Anderson and Gallows still members of Bullet Club now somehow getting membership in the WWE, um, reuniting with AJ. Uh, how are they going to going to play play all well, that? They should the play it up that that way. I mean, that would that would be a logical way for them to um, handle this. Um, if mm-hmm. if you're if you're doing this uh, moving moving forward. Uh, last thing we'll just note uh, for NXT on Tuesday night we have Braun Breaker against Javier Bernal, JC Jane against Elba Fire, and match number three between Axiom and Nathan Frazier. And Wednesday's updated Dynamite card in Toronto. Tony Storm and Hikaru Shida against Jamie Hayter and Britt Baker. Uh, Britt Baker back after the, after the nose injury. Luchasaurus against Jungle Boy Jack Perry, as they are promoting him now. Pack against Orange Cassidy for the All-Atlantic title. A uh, lot of, uh, lot of um, hometown support for the Atlantic Ocean here in Toronto. Billy Gunn against Swerve Strickland. Uh, Billy Gunn not doing greek town wrestling anymore this weekend instead he has been replaced by wardlow interesting okay yes Hmm. and chris jericho versus brian danielson have you heard how they are trying to use judas as a draw for thursday night that i have yes Mm -hmm. so jericho will come out to white zombie as lionheart on wednesday night so if you want to hear him come out to judas you have to come on thursday night to rampage the show that has tickets remaining yeah um i find this pretty interesting judas a draw I mean, I think it is for a lot of people, you know, uh, it, it's almost become sort of a quintessential part of the AEW live experience, the Jewish sing-along. So, you know, this to me uh, is an interesting tactic to try to, to me, it's a bit, a bit of an acknowledgement of like um, weak ticket sales for Rampage. You know, the fact that they had uh, felt the need to, to have Jericho come out to <laughs> tell everybody, you should come both nights because if you want Judas, you got to come to the Thursday well, we will find if there's a spike over the next few days, you got you got to assign it to Judas. It's something. I'm thankful that this guy's at, at least promoting something for Rampage. It's more than they, they've they done. haven't announced anything for Rampage. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do believe it's, you know, the audience that they are going to night one. And I think for many, they're looking at, OK, there's an hour of Rampage on Thursday night that I will get. And the rest is going to be content for dark and that's not going to be enough uh dynamite you're getting you know two hours of the a show and you know for for thursday i was it, it's disappointing given this is their first time in toronto it's it's not a terrible number just if this was some other market like they're still going to hit five thousand or so uh for, for thursday night but yeah for toronto your first time in i think most were assuming that this would be you know automatic sellouts both nights i, I always we thought were, we were talking stadium like for some some of us you know um 
Yeah, it's it, obviously it would be a very different card, different, differently promoted. But I, I just, I just don't know if if that's even possible. Well, again, now. It, it goes to the AEW content that truly moves your your audience, and a major pay per view. I think you would see a dramatically increased response uh, if AEW was coming here for the first time, and it was full gear in November, and you had the Rogers Center, and you had your your key stars, like all of that in alignment, first time in the market. Like I think the demand would be exceptionally high, but again, it goes to your your difference of your different tiers of of shows that you are trying to sell to your audience. Let's move on to Raw from Monday night at the Barclays Center. Uh, speaking uh, of tickets, so this show, I think it was around like forty five hundred tickets were out when they announced DX, and then you saw some slow movement, and then over the past week or past couple of days, it went over like. Russell Hicks listed over 10,000 tickets out as of today. So there was some big, big movement. And you can't just say that was all DX because, you know, you saw the movement for DX. That had something to do with it. But over these last couple of days, I think a lot of people assumed that Bray Wyatt was going to be on this show. And if you tuned in, I mean, they they did have that graphic where later tonight, the return of Bray Wyatt, where if you have the educated WWE eye, I think you could realize this was going to be a recap segment. But the way it was worded, I mean, you could certainly have um, fooled people into believing that Bray Wyatt was going to be on this show later. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe by design. Um, did they have enough Bray Wyatt content to satisfy people? I'm sure people that were there live might have been a little disappointed. They are also marketing SmackDown, like right on the event page as Bray Wyatt returns. Like they clearly believe he is someone that is a mover when it comes to, and I'm sure they will move tickets for, for Friday, uh, in New Orleans. Um, yeah. So well, right now there are a thousand tickets available. So. They can also open up more. Like the Smoothie King Center holds a lot more than uh, 6,200 people. So they, they could open up a, a whole lot more. Um, you remember when we went to uh, the Smoothie King Center for a Raw after WrestleMania and they put mm-hmm. us up in the uh, in like the darkness up in the, the top level? Do you remember this? Yeah, I literally yeah. needed – they didn't even have lights on for us. I had to have a flashlight on to take notes. <laughs> it I was, was like, a- <laughs> I feel like I'm a prisoner up here. It would be appropriate if, if for for the fiend, I suppose. So something uh, as well. Last week on the main event tapings, they had a Brooks uh, Brooks and Jensen do a match as well as a Fallon Henley. This week it was Carmelo Hayes against Cedric Alexander, and the real match that I know you're going to be tuning into main event for our Truth versus Von Wagner. Okay, all right. Well, so, every, everybody getting some uh, main roster experience, getting a look, maybe. So okay, cool. The show begins with Shawn Michaels, Road Dog, and Sean Waltman backstage, and Michaels asks, are you ready? And they point to Hunter, who is on the headset producing the show, and explains that with sponsors, we can't do the normal stuff, and instructs them not to curse, nothing about genitals, and Road Dog asks if they can say penis. Then they censor all their language, and Michaels points out four cocks. And they cut to four rubber chickens. And he jokes that Paul is going to, quote, choke the chicken. I picked up my phone. I texted Way. I was about to text Way. Um, You've got this show tonight. I did not want to see any more DX. And I was actually happy that we were limited to what we had at the end. This this was maybe the worst three minutes of uh, the Paul Levesque era 
I found this to be just so lame. I mean, I thought all the DX stuff was pretty much that, wasn't it? And at this point, we've seen enough of these DX reunions to know what to expect. It gets more and more sad every time. They had nothing. Like this segment at the end of the, like they didn't have anything other than like, we're going to play the hits um, and we're going to call out the elephant in the room that Billy Gunn isn't here. And that was about it. And it was limited to like, what they have five minutes at the end of the show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, throughout the show, I feel like you could have at least had a bit more fun. I feel like the um, at least like one of the last times we saw them, they did a whole thing with the Gallows and Anderson and, and Balor, actually, as part of, um, you know, that whole uh, Bullet Club um, Too Sweet thing. Um, maybe there could have been a bit more interest. But, you know, what? like at this point, like it's hard to be uh, rebellious. If you were someone way that they did promote this, if you were someone tuning in. Do you feel they did enough that you would leave satisfied if you were someone that was tuning in specifically for this? Um, like, I was fine with the limited amounts that they had. I didn't need any more than this, but I was also not necessarily tuning in with this as my uh, reason for it. Yeah, was I satisfied? Look, look at these up-to-date I mean, photos that they had. I mean, they must have just shot these, what, over the weekend in Stanford? I mean, mm, look at sure. look at these, these, young, uh, these young upstart talents. Yeah, I don't know if I, I'd say I was satisfied or not because I don't know if I was expecting too much at, at this point, you know, beyond just them coming out, saying suck it, doing the whole spiel and uh, maybe making a few, um, you know, uh, a few jokes about like things that they're they're not allowed to talk about. But it, in particular, I think it's like um, seeing I mean, they, they joke about them be, themselves being old, but man, like hearing them make dick jokes is uh is is pretty tough to watch, you know, at this point. But uh, but that's what what happens when you have a gimmick based off of dick jokes. Like the, you know, the DX was a gimmick that it was I it was I think very much made for its time. And um even though I think we could celebrate the fact that hey, we've known about this thing. Like look at the careers at least, you know, several of these people have had since then. Um going back to the shtick uh, of being sort of like rebellious, you know, uh, um, 20 somethings while you're 50 something in full control of the entire business. It, it, it's that much more difficult. Corey Graves introduces the new voice of raw Kevin Patrick. Would you give a letter grade to Kevin Patrick on night one? I'm going to say B minus. Like, not that I have high expectations. I think for any time, like somebody appears as a WWE play-by-play commentator like i'm used to the guys just kind of sitting in that chair playing a role and at the very least you know not mixing people's names up and not screwing that up and not screwing moves names of moves up and and kevin patrick obviously didn't do that he's very familiar with with the product um but i'll say like he in no way stood out to me as any sort of like significant voice um presence i mean it was really a corey led broadcast with kind of kevin patrick almost maybe just kind of feeling things out it's only the man's first week in this chair so um you know i'll still give it a chance but i wasn't that impressed first week yeah i I would say if you're asking me my my preference it would be jimmy smith over kevin patrick i felt that and again it's it's show number one for the guy he is going to get more acclimated to this role and playing off of corey graves but I just feel like part of it, it's like he is the excited fan that almost like too much defers to Corey and doesn't have that kind of gravitas or authority that mm-hmm. you want in, in that specific role calling the show. And that's something that maybe over time he will develop. Um, but, but to me, it was it was a little awkward. It's it's almost like he is just like 
the biggest fan that is calling this and he's in awe of all the things in front of him. I'm sure for him, like this was a real thrill getting to call Monday Night Raw. Like if you're a broadcaster in this industry, I mean, it, it might be a, a, a role that, you know, everybody in his position aspires to. I will say, I think, you know, obviously, you know, having a two man booth again is, 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 is refreshing, but I also think it, it served to, expose him that much more because so much more was reliant upon him to be more than just the guy to call the moves you know you need to also have a bit of intensity in your voice a bit of personality that does kind of make you stand out or as you said john you know grants you that sort of like authoritative voice for for the good guy essentially and and in week one you know let's let's not be so hard on him he didn't really have it yet yeah but i mean this has also been a a trend where they they put these guys into the hot seat and it's mm-hmm. you know he has been doing main event it's not like he's coming in cold but i mean look look at some of the the people that he is replacing and varying degrees of success like i oh, yeah. I, I think jimmy smith really like came in and was certainly uh, i i think did his homework and was a very passable um commentator i wouldn't say he's uh my, my favorite guy in the role but I, I thought he did a very commendable job each week and with someone coming out of it that you know was very much removed from professional wrestling when he got this job but that goes to the hiring process that they they are okay and comfortable with that sure yeah and i wouldn't say jimmy smith is was was perfect in any way in fact like i think if hunter ultimately wanted to find like a permanent person like to 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 be a, a new Michael Cole, to be a new Jim Ross. I don't think Jimmy Smith was necessarily that person, and maybe this is his search. So looking for somebody new is is not a bad thing. Um, but you know, week one, um, I, I I think the jury's still out on Kevin Patrick. Certainly, the bloodline starts the show, and Reigns doesn't want to dwell on the past, but he can't get past last Friday, and his father told him that the loudest one in the room is also the weakest, and anyone. Doing that in the bloodline is a fool. So he asks Jay, are you a fool? And Zane interrupts. This crowd just starts chanting for Sammy. And he notes how Reigns told him Jay is now his problem. I would like to handle this. So Reigns steps aside and says, go ahead. And Zane talks about how him and Reigns had a heart-to-heart discussion and quite the talk that they had about the future and tells Jay that they think his behavior hasn't been very oozy lately. During these segments with Sami Zayn, this is the uh, the Easter egg portion of these segments. Just watch Jimmy. Watch him react. He is listening to this in the moment, and he (laughs) has the worst poker face. He is just loving this, but it's part of his gimmick too to be the happy go lucky guy. So if he's breaking out laughing, it it suits him. But it's it's a riot to watch him react to this guy. So, I just on that note, like I love the fact that I mean it's been for a while now, but I love the fact that now, especially with with this whole Sami Zayn thing, you have two very distinct personalities between each Uso. Like for so long, they were just kind of you know supposed to be twins, like mirror images of of each other. Without wasn't that Jay's famous line? Yeah, which one is Jay? Exactly, exactly. But now, like every, they each have their distinct personality, distinct relationships with everybody else in the in the in the stable. Uh, it's been great for them, I would say. He compares Jay to Jimmy, who's always happy, solo, who just stands there, stone face, and just ask Jay to be cool. And Jay looks at Reigns. Is this a joke? Are you ribbing me? And he's getting upset. 
But then Matt Riddle comes out and talks about the fight pit and brings up the stipulation that, let, let's be all honest, every one of us has forgotten about, that he cannot challenge Roman Reigns for the championship anymore after he lost to him. Now, I remember that match. It actually did a very good rating that week. I, for the life of me, did not remember that the stipulation was attached to it. They could have set up a title match here way, and I wouldn't have been any the wiser. Same, same. Um, and... um. I imagine maybe next time. Like, so what is the stipulation? As long as Roman is still champion, Riddle can't challenge. Yes, is that just right? like New Day Got can't it. challenge the Usos. That was a thing too. <laughs> that was a thing months ago. Yes. Oh goodness, how are they going to get around that? Um, we, we'll see. No, so geez. he Reigns denies this request. So Jay tells Zayn, "Why don't you step up to the plate? Yeet, yeah, yeet, my dog." And Zayn is. This is Riddle who's piping in here, and Zayn tells Riddle, you cannot say yeet. So Riddle continues <laughs> to say it. Jay says, he is low-key disrespecting you. And I was ready for Loki to run in here, but no. It was Zayn accepting the match with Matt Riddle for later on in the show. Over whether or not, maybe he can be banned from using the word yeet, just like <laughs> he can be banned from going for Roman's titles. Yeah. I thought it was a really fun segment. You know, it showcased the... Jay, Sammy, Roman relationship really well. Um, clearly, at this point, the Sammy-Jay relationship is sort of like the core of what is making this entire bloodline thing so appealing and so much fun to watch. And everybody else, including Roman, is just kind of like there to facilitate the Sammy-Jay relationship. And I thought the, the segment did a really good job of showcasing it. I mean, Sammy Zayn, you can listen to this crowd. This, to me, in Brooklyn, was by far the biggest Babyface reaction. We've like straight up babyface. You know what? Maybe maybe discounting Canada, the Canadian dates. But, Canada never counts. <laughs> but at least like for a segment where I feel like they were supposed to be portrayed as the heels here, this was a crowd that gave Sammy, you know, above Roman Reigns the biggest reaction all night. Yeah, I've got to say, when it comes to the long, drawn out opening promo segment. I really don't find that fatigue with these bloodline segments. They come out it, like the numbers now, everyone, as you've mentioned, way feels like they're defined as characters. They have mm. their reason for being here. It's not just throw a shirt on a guy to get him into the group. They feel like a big deal. And the added numbers, they feel like this big unit now. And there's dysfunction in it. It's they're very entertaining with Zayn playing off of everybody. And I think overall, it just it enhances Roman too. just having um you know, this, this army it, behind him. It gives him presence for days when he's not around. And, and at this point, that's, that's plenty, but you know, it, 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 it almost serves to build him up for when he is around. I'm almost amazed that they had Riddle step into the situation and the fact that Riddle ended up still getting cheered despite coming in here because the bloodline are so cool now. Like any, any person, any baby face who steps up to him is at risk of getting booed much in the way that like Logan Paul was on Friday. Um, I'm almost amazed that like, you know, this crowd still like riddled that much to cheer him, but yeah, all this worked. Match number one, Austin theory against Johnny Gargano. Uh, theory is in control and he applies the Gargano escape onto Gargano who escapes. And then it's Gargano using La Mystica into his own move. Uh, but Theory just rolls to his feet again, escaping. And from there, Theory lands a super kick and then rolls into a super kick from Gargano, dives with a DDT to the floor and hits one final beat, pins Austin Theory in eight minutes and 48 seconds. And I feel that the, the Austin Theory 
um, run is really, really coming to a, a, a very painful, slow ending. I don't know if he's going to make it past the finish line. You really think so? You think you think you like based off of all of this booking? You think Austin Theory is going to lose the Money in the Bank briefcase? I would take the briefcase off of him. I feel that of all the different acts that are going on all these different shows and who people are into and the momentum, I sense so little with Austin Theory. It just, to me, is not a character that's connecting in any way. It feels as, and maybe this is not fair to attach to him, but he's got the Vince McMahon stamp on him more than anybody. And that's something he cannot fight, but it does feel like he is the holdover from the last regime more than anybody else on the programs. He, he but he also spent time in NXT. It's not like he, he didn't have the. I'm not a, saying a it's fair, but I feel that that perception is, is the most of anyone. Of, okay. In terms of a Vince McMahon created idea i suppose to me like i'm not i'm not as quick to jump to that conclusion yet because this austin theory push is very similar to anybody who's ever won in the on money in the bank in this company you know they they hold the briefcase and they job the shit out of them until they of course you know win the championship so i i, I still well, this feel like, feels like it would be a disaster of this guy winning the championship i, I yeah. just don't it's it's not as though I feel this guy is coming out and he's performing in such a way that it's it's an unfair um, stigma to put on him. It's not like he's having compelling matches. I thought this was very basic. And for Johnny Gargano match to be basic, um, that that to me is below par. Yeah. Sorry. I'll, I will say like the fact that Roman Reigns has both championships and the fact that Roman is on a two year run uh, as champion, I think is probably the, the most difficult. The The reason why I would maybe most point to for Austin Theory somehow losing the briefcase because I certainly don't think Theory will be the one to take the belt off of Roman at this point. Probably not until like uh, WrestleMania, if ever. Like the the, the the standard I think we have now for a world championship uh, or a world champion is, is that much higher when we're talking about names like a Bobby Lashley. So Theory certainly not at that level yet. But it also doesn't mean like, you know, with the failed cash in, you can't tell a compelling story with him. Um, and that you can't use this run to elevate him to get closer to that level. Have they given him up, up on him like to to that um, extent? Um, I don't know. I, what can you, what can you sure. tell me about this Austin Theory character? What what can you tell me about him? Uh, he's a cocky asshole who loves taking selfies. Uh, he looks like the feed mask, weirdly like except like human. <laughs> He does. He does have the face of an emoji. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he's sort of like a generic asshole, and yes, that is part of the problem. You know, he's he's yet to really kind of find like a unique identity that really s- makes him stand out at that at this top tier. Um, like, can you imagine in your mind what this guy, what this character, not the real person, but this character does on his day off? That to me is my litmus uh, test for I mean, a I character just, with any kind of depth to it. That you could take me through an average day of what their their non-working going, day is like. I'll tell you exactly what he does. The guy's just he's going to the gym. He's I like eating, lift weights. Yeah, he's goes through maybe his phone. Working on what, his what, what did I compile at Raw on Monday on my phone? Sure. Yeah. Is that isn't that enough? How much more does somebody need in a life? Yeah. It's it it's. Just so so rich, all the all the stories that come from that the there's, day in the life. There's no doubt, John. I, I I we're in agreement. Like he he's a he's a bad choice for a Money in the Bank winner. If you're you know looking for for like he wouldn't have been. I feel I, I it's safe to say that he wouldn't have been Triple H's choice 
to win money in the bank if, if he had the book by then. So now you're, you've been given this thing. What do you do with it? Ray Mysterio. I don't have any answers to, uh, to, to conclude that, that segment. Ray Mysterio and Chad Gable. Um, we go to the crowd and Uli Latakufu from Young Rock was showing in the crowd. He plays uh, Dwayne Johnson, the college years on Young Rock, uh, which they note is coming back November 4th, which, yes, will be airing head to head with SmackDown on NBC, which oh. seems like just genius programming on NBC's part. You might not want to promote this too much then. Oh, I, no. I don't know. It's, it's kind of interesting that on I would be very curious if they're able to plug. Could they pull this off on SmackDown? Yeah. Fox. Hmm. I would guess no. That would be my assumption. I would guess no, too. But, I mean, I don't know. Could you just promote him as any sort of standard celebrity? Hey, uh, here's a celebrity who may or may not you know, be running at the same time. You know who Chad Gable was accompanied by? Otis. Incorrect. The tree trunk. Otis. Ah, yes, of course. As he was identified. Uh, Ray did a, his slide into a sunset flip, sending Gable into the barricade, and then Rhea Ripley and Dominic come out, and Rhea has an armband with the word Beth around it, which I cannot recall them doing that in a storyline type of um, way. With someone's name. Okay, yeah. You're suggesting it might be in bad taste. Uh, so, some I, I don't know if anyone uh, took it that way. I just found it... Um, notable that you know that that feels like something like th- there are a few things that are, are kind of treated in a serious way like mm-hmm. uh you don't do fake 10 bell salutes or um I, I guess the vince mcmahon funeral did uh kind of break all those rules <laughs> we yeah. did have the armband here ray then sends otis into the post and there's a 619 to gable for a big pop and then he hits the splash and he pins gable so the story is that ray's life is in shambles but even in shambles he's not losing to chat gable so he's he hasn't hit rock bottom yet um dominic enters the ring D- do you want to uh talk about the match before we get to the post match. honestly not not much to say you know they they have very good chemistry in ring but this was not a match designed to showcase it it, it was more of a setup for the angle afterwards yeah th- this was almost nine minutes with a commercial break slotted mm-hmm. into the middle dominic comes into the ring and his his catchphrase is just hit me hit me and he pushes ray and then dominic slaps ray and then Balor and Priest show up. So Ray goes after them and hits a tilt world to Balor, sending Balor into Dominic. And he goes for a 619 onto Balor, but Dominic, Dominic not only attacks his father, but he deprives this audience of a 619. And the 619 is the easiest pop in the world. So they are pissed at Dominic. Huge chance of you suck. And Ray is nearly in tears. And you see him mouth the, the words, why, Dom? Why? And Ray turns to leave, turning his back. So Rhea holds him on the rope after Dominic nails him. And it's Dominic with the 619. Dude, Dominic is awesome in this role. He is so hateable. It is. I just think he has put all of this together. I'm not saying he's going to be this giant box office attraction as a heel. But in this role, he is tremendous. And Ray is just there are a few baby faces that could get away with this, this level of emotion and tears, but Ray behind is, a mask. No, less. yeah. John. I mean, most seriously, like this would be comedy to some of how over the top Ray is, but it's not with Ray and Dominic is just, I think he's tremendous. Like I am elevating it to tremendous. 
Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, like there, there are things that I think certain talents are able to do well and certain things that talents aren't able to do well. And I think as a baby face, Dominic might have been relied upon, um, in the wrong ways to showcase himself or he could have been holding back, John, because I see a segment like this tonight and I, I think, wow, like this kid had a lot within him that he never got to show as a baby face. And like his, his mannerisms are way advanced for someone this, um, early into his career. And the day that Ray hits this guy. Is going to be the biggest pop, and they are just milking this of like Ray will not strike his son. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I it's been fantastic storytelling, and I agree that Dominic was legitimately awesome here. We're not we're not trying to be ironic, okay? Like we actually think Dom, Dominic was incredibly talented. He, I, I thought his anger and emotion and the intensity in which he he confronted his father was very compelling. And as we discussed, like Ray's ability to emote with what little we could see of his face, you know, completely drew me in. And, and I think completely told you the the anguish that this man was having to, you know, go through week after week, seeing his son asked to attack him. Like, I think, oh man, I'm holding my, like now as, as a father, John, you know, I'm holding my newborn. What if my newborn one day asked me, hit to me, daddy, him? hit me. How torturous. That's terrible. Poppy. So, <laughs> it's it was another great segment for the judgment day um who man over the past like two tv shows have greatly elevated their stock they've had now two great angles back to back really making a name for themselves like building tremendous i think drama using these sort of familial ties first with edge and, and beth and now with ray and dom continuously so they they've been great and the people responsible for making these segments have been fantastic as well I just realized that we have Oscar Gutierrez and <laughs> Way Mysterio. Judgment no. Day promo after the break. These segments, they just get a ton of heat now. Um, yeah. They run raw. Uh, Balor goes over forcing Edge to quit, and there was no Edge or Beth on the show. Uh, Ripley says that what she did to Beth is only a glimpse of what she can do, and then Dominic goes to speak, and they just try to drown him out. So this seems to be audiences just playing copycat now, where this is what you do when Dominic tries to speak. Uh, right. But I also think legitimately, like, he's very hateable, isn't he? Isn't he? I, I think that is certainly a compelling part of, of, the, of this whole act with him. So he talks about the devastated look on his father's face on Saturday. And then Ballers has an ultimatum for AJ Styles. And AJ comes out and he admits that he needs family. So he gets down on one knee and hugs Baller, but he's got the microphone and says, but I wasn't talking about you. And out come the big LG and Carl Anderson. The crowd's chanting, holy shit, and they attack the Judgment Day. They brawl to the floor, and Gallows uses a chair on Damian Priest, and hopefully um, they won't believe that Paul Heyman can cost them their jobs again. Wow, okay, I totally forgot about Remember? that. It wasn't Vince, yeah. it was Paul Heyman that got Jeez, that's got to be awkward in the back. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe privately they've kind of, maybe they really, you know what? I I think Vince had a say in that. I think that it (laughs) might've been a Vince problem. I don't know if Paul Heyman had that jurisdiction over our careers. Yeah. There you have it. They are. The OC is back. 
Oh man, I don't know if I like that name. Like maybe I, they'll change the name again. First they were the club, and then the OC. What were they with Balor? Were they any anything in particular? What in WWE? Balor Club. They were Balor Club. Uh, did they, they were they kind of uh, called that? I think they whatever. Okay, some some iteration of it. At this point, if they're working with New Japan, just negotiate with them for the IP. Okay, let them let them use the damn logo. Let them use all this stuff. Uh, like you, you've danced around it long enough. Pay the- but but this is it, it, it's really interesting given the fact that number one, you know, he is, you know, you have the 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 title defense on November fifth, which. I would very much imagine they are going to want the, this whole program part of the Saudi Arabia show. And you would assume like these two would have been doing the tag league in November. Yeah. So yeah, which I'm sure they were figured into a lot of plans. Certainly. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, this, this, this seemingly, I wonder how, how early it came together, you know, with, with all of them. Um, I, I believe like somebody pointed out how like Gallows in an interview backstage uh, in a new Japan show back in September, made some reference to like you will you'll be surprised at where i show up next i wonder if it was a reference to this or maybe maybe it was just coincidental i don't know but i'd love to know maybe some of the behind the scenes about how long this has been in negotiation um you know i'll say like to me like gallows and anderson have really cooled off for me personally like i i feel like they were kind of exposed as like <sighs> acts that i don't know if they necessarily hold up on their own you know um but what I do know is that I think they, they're great accessories to either a Kenny Omega or a Finn Balor, or in this case, an AJ Styles. And I think extending this AJ Styles Finn Balor feud now to, you know, a faction war essentially between the Judgment Day and the Bull Club is really interesting, of course, given Balor's, you know, uh, history with Gallows and Anderson themselves. So it, it, it's, it's seemingly like kind of Hunter's time to be able to try his own. Bullet Club Civil War type of storyline, and I, I'm curious to see how how he does. Yeah, and how this um, like if this is kind of separate from the Ray Dominic Edge story, or if there is uh, all of that gets intertwined because mm-hmm. you know you have these three, and then you have Balor, Priest, and and Dominic. Unless yeah. Judgment Day uh, finds finds their additional members. Well, Judgment Day are very busy these days, so. We'll see. Uh, also, Kathy Kelly back. That's right. Kathy Kelly is back on. So her and Byron are the backstage interviewers on mm-hmm. Raw. And then Megan Morant and is it Kayla that are doing SmackDown? Yes. All right. Byron did a sit down with Damage Control and Dakota explained how she was at rock bottom when Bailey was the only one to help her. And Dakota would do anything for Bailey and Sky and questions if Bel Air, Bliss, and Asuka have that same bond and states that Bailey will get a rematch with Bel Air and get the title she deserves. So I don't know how that works that you can just get a rematch after so clearly losing uh, emphatically on Saturday, but it seems like they are going to keep this going. There are plenty of ways. Jay walks up to Roman Reigns, who is off. He's going to watch the rest of the show in the city. I'd be like, why? Like you're gonna go all the way to the city to watch the rest of Raw? It's gonna translation. He's not watching the show. Are you kidding me? He's not sticking around for all three hours, dude. I'm going home. So Jay is told to stay here with Sammy and make sure he wins. And Solo is also leaving with Reigns. So Jay is just all left out here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, setting up the story for the main event. Bailey against Candice LeRae. 
Uh, Larray got hung up on the turnbuckle and her knee was attacked, but then uh, it gets snapped to the back or to the mat. And Bailey goes for a rose plant and it's countered with a cradle. And Candace pins her in 605. Damage control runs down, attacking Larray. Sky hits a backbreaker. Then Bianca Belair runs down to drop Kai, but get gets outnumbered and they hold Belair for an elbow drop by Bailey and stand over the two. And it looks like this program will continue with Bianca Belair and Bailey. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I feel like it's, it's probably leading if they're doing a female war games to, to that, you know, so whether or not they get a title defense in between, um, I, I wonder, but it could also just be build up to war games. I thought having Candace beat Bailey was, um, it's certainly interesting, you know, as a booking decision, it's, it, it, it tends to be a bold move. Anytime you have like a newcomer beat somebody established, I'll say though, coming out of this segment, I don't know if it felt like that significant of a deal. And, um, I don't know if it received that big of a reaction. And I wonder what, why, why that might be for me. Is it because like Candace's, you know, role on the show has been so minimal so far? Like we, we barely had a promo from her. We don't really know who she is. Um, so much of it is riding on the assumption that you knew who, who she was from NXT, which I'm willing to bet a lot, a lot of this audience doesn't. Well, they are going to be running into a lot of the, I think, issues that, that AEW had with bringing in so many people. And mm-hmm. there's the, sh- there's the novelty of who's going to show up next, but the end result is, a giant amount of people that are now in these roles that you cannot find focus for all of them. And some of them are going to become background players. And now it's, it's finding meaningful roles for all these people because you can only keep new people showing up. You can only play that game for so long. And then you sort of have to temper things down, but they are very much in the full mode of surprises and returns. And it's done wonders for numbers for the, the Bray thing was a home run that I, it becomes very intoxicating to get stuck into that. And then it's who's next, who are we going to bring back next? And your audience starts to expect that, but you know, you do have to work with all of these parts that you're bringing in. And and I think trying to give significance to a new day being person is why they built Candace to beat Bailey here. Um, Maybe, maybe what what I'm looking for is just, uh, I I was probably looking for a bit more like of a presence from Candace prior to this win, but maybe it's, it's after the win that they'll really give it to her. Like, I want to see story with her. You know, it, it's clear to me that they're making her important enough to justify a role on a war games um, team, perhaps. Um, but I, I probably need to be a bit more attached to her in terms of personality, you know, before I, I care than just seeing this win here. Well, and th- this should like link her with Bianca Belair, which is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a good spot to be attached to. The Miz is with Maurice, and he's worried about doing this birthday celebration because of Dexter Loomis. Maurice just uh, ignores this. She's worked on this for months, and she brings him a gift. She has bought him a baseball bat, and the Miz is like, didn't you watch Extreme Rules? This is the least threatening weapon possible. This will do nothing. So Maurice hosts the birthday celebration. Miz comes out with the bat, and he notes that it is signed by the best hitter in the league, Cleveland's Jose Ramirez and the crowd boos as Miz notes what you thought I was going to say Aaron judge. So the first gift Maurice gets him two giant balance balls, two giant balls for your big bat. I thought this was the DX segment. Um, You know, maybe they put all the writing power in this and I don't know. Keep DX just the catchphrases. I don't know. 
The next gift, he takes off of the table, and there is Dexter Loomis's head through the table. So he puts the box back on top, and then he crushes this box with the bat. I'm just so glad this guy got his head out of the way and didn't get caught or something, because he was dead if this bat had like come down. He just full-on swung for the fences here. Uh, Loomis then pops up in the ring, chokes out Miz, um, or at least tries to, and... Miz, like, knocks into Maurice, who, like, avoids going into the cake, but then Miz awkwardly hits her a second time, and then she falls into the cake. This was far from graceful. And so she does the cake routine. Miz escapes and runs to the back, leaving Maurice there, who she leaves, and Loomis takes the carving knife for the cake and deflates the giant balls before he eats the cake. Yeah, um, you know, this whole Miz... Uh, Loomis thing I think like prior like when it first happened I, I saw some good reaction to it online even though I've hated it from the beginning but like I think progressively it's become from maybe went from to some people good to tolerable because we've had so much more interesting things and challenging and, and, and intelligent things on this show to focus on now it's become un- unbearable and I, I would say it peaked here with like how bad it was. This was a terrible segment. Okay. From number one, like just, I think the, the ball, oh man, the balls thing is just, some people like it. I'm just, it's, it's on the same level as like the DX cock jokes for me. Like it's, it's, it's go away heat. Um, and, and then like on top of that, the whole predictability of the segment itself between the cake to, um, I don't know, Loomis showing up um, without much teasing. It, it just, it, it, it was it, to the poor execution of, of the cake, you know, spill. I, I, I just thought it was incredibly weak for these two. It was a deflating segment, both literally and figuratively. And Kevin Patrick ended it with this twisted, twisted man referring to Dexter Loomis. DX is with Joey Ace and Chico, and they give them a pep talk for uh, taking on Omos next. The Miz and Maurice enter the scene furious over Dexter Loomis, and Michaels explains that Dexter Loomis is a good guy, uh, but Miz must have done something to piss him off, and Miz defends himself. He's done nothing. And Road Dog suggests there's a way you can get rid of him. Next week, face him in a match where if you win, he leaves forever, but if Loomis wins, he gets a contract, and Road Dog explains he has the power to do that around here. Right. Does he? Like... Is that in real life? Uh, I guess so. They announced this match for next week, so I guess, I guess he okay. does have that power. Maybe, maybe Michaels has um, – he, he can push that one through. Yeah, they know people, I guess. So I guess this is the culmination of this. He either gets a contract or he leaves. All this just to get to like a contract match for Dexter Loomis? Like the, we're culminating this entire angle just so Dexter Loomis can get a contract? How Like so – Like this started when? In August? Like middle of August? Yeah, yeah. I guess so. I guess nobody, like, everybody else could just show up on Raw. Like, everybody has contracts. Candice LeRae got a contract. Hit Row got a contract. Gallows and Anderson obviously got a contract. But somehow Dexter Loomis, after all this time, he's just, he's been stalking. He's getting plenty of airtime stalking people's homes. Still no contract, though. Yeah, that, well, this man breaks into homes. Is is a piece of paper going to keep him away? Is that going to be the, okay, I... I better find something. Do else we to even do. know that this is what Dexter Loomis has been after this whole time? Why does he? Know? If he doesn't have a contract, what prevents him from continuing this without a contract? What does a contract have to do with anything? 
You know, like we don't we don't get any sort of indication that Loomis has been after a job. Do stalkers even have jobs beyond stalking? <laughs> could, could you imagine if that was like, OK, this guy's been showing up at the salon um, after hours and he's been harassing people. So after two months of this creepy guy outside the salon, we're going to have um, we're going to let him like cut hair. And if he does a good job, he's hired nine to five. Five days a week. <laughs> exactly. Like, sure. what a horrible business. Well, what's the explanation for Champa's whereabouts? Did, did they say? I might have missed it. Uh, did, didn't he get pulled into the, the depths of hell? And he's, been, he's been missing since. Okay. Well, it's all for the better that he was not attached to any of this because it's been, oh, God, it's been awful. Then it's Omos against Chico and Joey Ace, uh, and he kills these two in a minute 19, tree slams afterwards, and uh, that was it. N- nothing uh, teasing the Braun direction, but I think that's where everyone assumes he is. that's the direction he is going in. And then they replay Bray Wyatt's return, if you missed it on Saturday. So that was the, the return of Bray Wyatt on Monday's Raw. And Kevin Patrick just remarks that uh, he finally showed up after the trail of barcodes and phone numbers. Oh, man. Part of me, like, felt really sad hearing, like, because throughout this entire time, the commentators have not acknowledged it whatsoever beyond, like, huh, what's that? That's weird. <laughs> like, like that was about the most that they've had. And just to hear, like, Kevin Patrick so straight up say, wasn't that an interesting tale of barcodes and phone numbers? Like This just made wacky the Bray Wyatt oh. with his own language that he's developed. It made the whole thing feel so incredibly lame now at this point. And yes, of course, yeah. the whole thing has been nothing but a commercial for the next show. We know that the, the WWE has been in on it. But there's, a, there's an element of like this feeling like it was the audience kind of uncovering something for themselves that didn't require any sort of hand-holding nor acknowledgement even from the main show. Um, that communicated specifically to them. And now the fact that it's like just another storyline in a way is a little bit sad. Yeah. Though we did have another QR code on this show. That's right. Uh, so yes, everyone's dad just started following them on TikTok with Kevin Patrick's <laughs> explanation here. Um, yeah. do, do you want to explain the, the QR code? Yeah. Uh, I don't think there was too much to this one, to, to my knowledge. Um, I believe it was like a, another video um, that led to a puzzle. In fact, I'll bring it up here. That led to a puzzle showing the logo, basically. I never had a PC, so I don't know if this like puzzle game. Did you ever play this puzzle game on your Windows? Um, I might have. I don't know. Some jigsaw puzzles game that showed the logo and spelled out JND. Maybe and... we'll play Minesweeper next week. Okay. Yeah, why not? Sure. They're kind of running out of forms of communication at this point. But uh, the QR code took us to this puzzle that spelled JNV, and people were quick to point out that J is the 10th letter of the alphabet. N is the, um, help me out here, what's Friday here, 14th letter of the alphabet, and V is the 22nd letter of the alphabet, spelling 10, 14, 22, which is Friday. This, this, this is way more effective than a 30-second commercial. Uh, sure. Yeah. JNV. Well, I mean, we're talking about it, aren't we? Listen, right. there, there's a whole generation that has learned Roman numerals through the WWE and to a lesser extent, oh, yeah. the Super Bowl. Hey, they're back now. Did you see the new logo? I did. Yeah. Yeah. They're using, um, what is it? What, what for the Philadelphia XL? Eagles colors. Right. And, and, and Roman numerals XL. That's right. 40. So yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Bobby Lashley comes out. He is a fighting champion, and he lists off all the names he's beaten. Brock Lesnar, 
Roman Reigns, and then calls out Rollins when Brock Lesnar's music hits. I kind of found it curious that you would name off Brock Lesnar when you were doing the the big surprise and that I've already beaten him. But that is part of the story that it's he's It's the story. Him. Exactly. Yeah. So they bring up the Royal Rumble match, which, in fact, Lashley beat Lesnar at. And Lesnar just comes out and he gets on the mic. Well, holy shit. And he says, good evening to Bobby Lashley before hitting him with the F5. The crowd chants one more time. So he hits a German and hits a second F5 and applies the Kimura. And the announcers assume the match is off with Rollins. And after the break, Lashley is being tended to when Rollins comes down with his ribs taped up, stating he wants the match. Bobby's, you said you're a fighting champion. You said you're a fighter. And you said you're a soldier. But you're not. You're a disgrace to your title and your country. It, it was the soldier line that got him, you know, like, and I loved it. I thought it was actually really brilliant. You know, like he said, the first two, uh, you're, you're, you're supposed to be. Big deal, champion. Seth. It's the U.S. title. I'm taking, yeah. I'm going to check on my ribs. And he brought up the soldier thing and that, that was enough to get Bobby. I, I thought it, it was actually a really great buildup and, and really great teasing. Yeah, so this was Lashley accepting the match, and they went two and a half minutes. Lashley runs at him with a spear into the pedigree, kicks out. Then Rollins does a frog splash off the top rope with his ribs destroyed and gets a two count. This is an ill-advised move. This is RVD tribute, wasn't it? It really was. Yeah, we got the tribute on Saturday with the gear and then tonight with with the logic. So Lashley then avoids a stomp, hits the spear, and he goes for the hurt lock. But Rollins attacks the injured arm from the Kimura. Super kick, kicks out the arm, and hits two stomps to pin Lashley in 234. Seth Rollins wins the United States Championship. And I'm guessing that this clears the way for Lesnar's Saudi Arabia program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. Because Lesnar ain't going for that U.S. title, let's be honest. No, I don't, I don't Got to get so. that thing out of the way here to, yeah. for this to be a believable Lesnar chase. I thought it was a really good segment. You know, it, it had all the excitement of a money in the bank cash in, um, just, you know, with a, with a down opponent and, and everything. Um, Brock, I thought was a really good surprise. And this moves Bobby into his next program, which is a Brock Lesnar program is certainly bigger than a U.S. title program. You know, he's been an excellent U.S. champion. Um, very convincing, especially at a time when Roman isn't on the show. Like they've done a good job of elevating that secondary title to feel much more important than it has in many years. So this win for Seth Rollins felt significant. It it feels like Seth Rollins with the U.S. title is is an actual accomplishment rather than just a burden. You know, like it's been for so many <laughs> mid tier champions in the past. So he's done a great job with this run. They've done a great job booking him for this run, and now he moves on to something bigger with Brock. Um. So yeah, yeah. What do you do? What do you see an outcome? Um, what, what's the outcome of that program with, between Lesnar and Bobby? You think? I think after the Reigns program, I think that they need a, a Lesnar win in, in this. Like just the way he's coming off with these Reigns matches, I you think they're I building think, to Lesnar and Reigns again. Or, or, or no, or, I just think that coming off of that, I think that Lesnar has done his fair share of losses for the year. That true, they, but Bobby also seems primed for that. Roman. Like, look at this. Lesnar lost at the Rumble. He lost at Mania. He lost at SummerSlam. Yeah, but he's also Brock Lesnar, and every time he returns, you're you're not going to necessarily remember his last loss. Whereas Lashley is around every single week, and would it not make more sense to have Lashley just be even hotter heading to potentially a title challenge? Well, he beats him here, and then they, they've got a reason for a third match. 
It's not like right. there's a long list of Lesnar opponents either. And mm-hmm. obviously True. they're not going anywhere right now with, with Daniel Cormier, who did state that um, there's nothing on the table beyond what happened Saturday and that he would have to get in shape for a match with, with Lesnar. And I think you could certainly see on Saturday uh, he is probably not in you know wrestling shape right now. Oh, he didn't want to climb the fence even to make that count. I mean, the guy's retired. I mean, he's not yeah, going to yeah. necessarily be uh, uh, killing himself to uh, stay in cosmetic shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, Byron goes up to Bobby. I know you're emotional. And Lashley is not done with Seth, but he's going to beat Brock's ass and tells him to show up next week. And I'm going to prove you're nothing more than a bitch. Yes. Huge, huge threat. Then there was a Bray Wyatt spot with the statement revel in what you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're, they're still doing the QR code thing for those of you who care. But ultimately, I think the chase is really over. And at this point, we're just we're trying to get everybody else now caught up. I don't Bray have Wyatt time to back. do the math equation. Just go to the back of the book and give me the answer. Exactly. Yes. Elias returns next week, which Graves calls the audio equivalent of a colonoscopy. So Ezekiel is dead and Elias is back. Yeah, back to his drifter self. So, I mean, under Triple H, what what is this character going to look like? Is he just going to be a comedic self or, or is he going to be a more serious attempt at the drifter? Yeah, I mean, this guy, for all you want to say, he put a lot into that Ezekiel character. and He might still I, show I, up once in a while. W- would you be a little... Um, I, I don't know if like frustrated or annoyed would be the word, but as much Elias as Kevin Owens, like... Those guys put a lot into getting that character over, and it just seems like Paul Levesque came in and done. We're not even going to try to go with this. And like they, they worked super hard on a gimmick that looked like it was a total dead end when they introduced it and took some time. But they did get to a place where you know it was, it was a very passable program that the two you could see they were putting a lot of effort into getting that new character over. If you're Elias, yes. If you're Kevin Owens, I... I can't imagine you being too upset, you know, if you're, you know, um, aborting that storyline in order to get what he currently has now. And that is a world title contender level threat. You know, a guy who comes out and has kick-ass matches every week um, and, and is gets to cut big promos. I, I get the sense like a lot of what, you know wrestlers existences were in the wwe under the vince regime were to make the best out of a bad situation and that's kind of the sense i had with kevin owens he was given this ridiculous thing with ezekiel and he had to make the best of it and he did um but now he actually gets to make the best out of something that's actually good it was like he got the austin program and then the check came due at the end and this is what you owe us three months (laughs) i guess yeah Matt Riddle against Sami Zayn with the Usos in his corner. So the crowd is chanting Sami Uso, and Jay tries to get involved, and Zayn tells him, I'm handling this. I don't need your help. Uh, SmackDown promo that airs during the break all around Bray Wyatt. Uh, Zayn is in control. He Riddle goes for an RKO off the top, but he's stopped with a headbutt. They go through a second commercial after Riddle hits a floating bro, and again, Zayn is stopping Jay from getting involved. Uh, Zayn sets up for a haluva kick. It's stopped with a power slam, and the Usos won't get involved when Riddle goes to the floor. Jay is stopping Jimmy, and then Zayn, thinking he's got it all on, all covered, goes for the blue thunder bomb, and it's turned into an RKO with Riddle winning in 16 minutes and 16 seconds. And Jay just laughs, telling Jimmy he's got it. He's got it. Mm-hmm. Jay was very funny here. 
He's he's been excellent throughout this entire thing. Yeah. Uh yeah, match match was good, but again, like it's a TV match, so it, it's honestly secondary to everything else that uh, is building up in this story and I I found the story pretty interesting. I wonder how well it came across to people live because I felt like it was very much um told in maybe interaction and certainly helped with commentary where I mean the idea is that Jay is under Roman's orders to make sure that Sammy wins. But Sammy then gave Jay orders to not help. And so Jay ultimately was like, okay, I'll follow your order, Sammy. And thus he lost. So we'll see how this, uh, we'll see how the tribal chief reacts on Friday. Um, but yeah, that seems to be what Raw is good for these days. This is just kind of your setup for the bloodline segments on Friday. Yeah, th- this was the only match that went over 10 minutes, and it was 16 minutes with eight minutes of commercials in it. So it, w- it was kind of hard to. Uh, really get a, a good read on, on this match. It, it seemed like the audience was into it um, more than most on this show. Like it was a lot of the crowd just coming down during the matches, but this mm-hmm. was not a raw that was very heavy on, on good, on good wrestling. This was much more around the, the non wrestling segments. And to that end, DX drove out on their, uh, on their little Jeep that is uh, resembling a tank. The Jeep with the cannon on the back. Yeah. This, this, yeah. After Rusev, they should really have a real tank. What just do you think? Like, just in their in their repertoire, like in 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 storage. Like, do you think they should just own one of those? Yeah, yeah. Or they okay. can come out in Shotzi's thing, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> they came out in Shotzi's tank. Sure. Yeah. So um, I don't know who these four guys are because they were not the four that came out for this uh, <laughs> this the segment at the end. Um, maybe their fathers or grandfathers came out and uh, Sean Waltman gave a shout out to China, which was a nice mention that they included mm-hmm. road dog calls them geriatric X. And I didn't even think about this, but him doing his intro, um, you know, the road dog, Jesse James, and then let the crowd yell the badass Billy Gunn, to which Corey Grave says the other guy is doing something with office equipment right now. Yes. Pretty Good funny. From court. Yeah. More acknowledgement than I actually. Well, I mean, about the level of acknowledgement. I, I was. You had to do the road dog spiel. And I, I thought they came up with a good way. And they didn't take a shot at the guy. They didn't no. make any joke. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they, they acknowledged it. And it would have been very awkward to just go out of your way to avoid it. It's like, who cares? Like, it just- was actually kind of a nice, friendly call out. Like, hey, like, here's that guy. In fact, they, they like mentioning even his his current storyline, which, yeah. you know, like if you, if you know, obviously like it's, it's, it, I, me, I really it, thought there was going to be a, uh, like the, the, the audience might like sing, but they did not. Yeah, no. Um, like to me, it, it indicates that like the scissoring is over enough to the point where like even your uh, commentator on the other show is able to make casual reference to it. And everybody who knows, knows. Hunter says it smells funny and doesn't know if it's coming from the audience or from road dog and Waltman. Pot and Hunter asks, "How many of you were watching 25 years ago?" And they were like, "Yeah, the average median age is over 50." So all of us, yeah, because we're all here to watch this act from '97. How many of us are in our late? Dude, they all cheer, and they're probably it's probably all right. Oh God! So he does the "Are you ready?" deal, and like it was weird to see Hunter like not like throwing in like jokes he's just like i love you all and uh and then he says he had to catch his breath and road dog gets in i wish i was allowed to do that earlier and sean michaels ends it by stating if we come out here in 25 years you have to promise us to put us out of our misery (laughs) 
and ends it with a suck it and they pose to end the show and it was like we didn't have any ideas beyond they're going to show up they will physically be here for a segment and that's that's what this was i mean it's not like they overstayed their welcome this was contained to five minutes and I imagine they did some more for the crowd afterwards. Maybe not. I, I don't know. But um, that was that was the DX reunion uh, for 25 years. I understand, like, you know, promoting it uh, ahead of time. It's it's you should be, you know, doing things like this as sort of the hook of, of the show. I suppose um, I, Remember I was the expecting- one they did earlier this year where it's literally in the afternoon. They're like, tonight, it's Randy Orton's 20th anniversary since his debut. Yeah, exactly. I was expecting like a bit more uh, interaction maybe with the current roster here. Like this might have been a good time to have somebody come out and just uh, I, get you destroyed. Know- I mean, even that's kind of cliche, but just some sort of interaction, perhaps. Um, I thought they were going to do something with Riddle when they came out at the end and kind of involve Riddle in some form. But it was sort of yeah. just like Riddle on Saturday. He gets his big win and then Bray takes over and then he yeah. gets his big win here and DX takes over. Yeah, but um, I, I do continue to wonder, like, how often they can go to the well with 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 the DX. Reunion. Endless, endless times way <laughs> that they can go to Austin, Undertaker, DX, anyone that was around in 1998 way. They can do this every year from you now right. until everyone that cheered that were around in 97 is no longer <laughs> on this earth. That's how long they can go to the well on this. I earth. guess I just mean for DX specifically because like, you know, um, like the shaved head is certainly helping uh, Waltman. It certainly helped uh, extend Hunter's longevity. Sean knows to wear the hat, hat now to, to cover the skullet. Road Dog looks like he's coming like straight from Costco, you know, into into this segment. And and just this scene is just, man, like it just gets more sad every single time. And maybe I think, I think of, of all the Sean Waltman feels the most self-aware. Like he's the one that's almost like, guys, are we really doing this in 2020? I, I'm willing to bet they're all saying that. You know, Maybe. privately, like hey, uh, when presented with this idea, I'm like, you, you seriously want us to go out there as 50 year olds and cut dick jokes? But I mean, we'll look at the ratings tomorrow to see if the show actually. But, but who's it. kicking and screaming here when Paul Levesque's the one like front and center here? Like this well, is like there, there's no more passing the buck of like, oh, we we, we got to do what uh, Vince is telling us to do. It's like this yeah. is this is your idea. Listen, the, the crowd got into it. They sold tickets based on this. It's uh, nostalgic for it's some. Business. but. But yeah, it's um, it's for me though. It's like it's not just seeing the act, but seeing maybe some sort of interaction between this act and maybe another. It's making the most out of this. Like you're gonna have a nostalgic segment. What can we do that this has some bearing on next week or two weeks Mm -hmm. from now? That someone someone gets something out of it beyond just a self-contained five minutes here. But they were going for self-contained here. That's it. And and I would say like if it was like another. Act. I wonder if like we'd ever get to the point where like DX would be like sacrificed, you know, like to an up and coming stable, for instance. Like, would would they ever get beaten down? If it was another like group of wrestlers, yes, but something tells me that I don't think we'll ever see that with them. Um, no, these they want to have charge. a new DX line of merch every year for them <laughs> to go sell, and I'm sure these Brooklyn DX shirts sold like tons on. Uh, on Monday night. And I imagine that the number is going to do very well for tonight's show. And DX was like the key thing that they promoted. There's probably, there probably was a lot of curiosity for Bray. And it was late in the show when you realize that Bray's not going to be on the show, that they started promoting SmackDown. But 
this was definitely we, we talked about um recently like the third hour being a throwaway i mean they kept brock for the third hour the lashley rollins match for the third hour and dx for the third hour so this mm-hmm. was definitely the uh attempt to keep that third hour up to whatever degree it can i i don't know if there's much that can offset that drop off we'll find out tomorrow okay raw is in the books the season premiere what'd you think of the, about the season premiere are you gonna watch this season <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm sticking around, John. I think I'll watch every episode. It's been year. enough time. I, 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 the show went away. I missed it over the summer. <laughs> I'm ready to get yeah. back into Raw Monday. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe hours. I'll wait till next September and I'll just binge it, binge the entire season in one. This night. is no season 15, though. <laughs> no, no. This is more season 15 episode 275. Yeah, that was a good one. All right. Any super chats before we go to the forum? Yes, we do. We got a lot of them. Thank you whoa, all of you guys for your whoa. support. In We're going to retire. In addition to uh, the the two that we mentioned earlier, I want to thank, first of all, Mulaud for becoming a member of the channel. Welcome, Mulaud, becoming a channel. YouTube channel member at video.postwrestling.com. Hope you enjoy all the podcasts that you'll get to uh, experience and also a neat little badge across your name in the chat. So there you go. Rob McDonald sends $5 just to say happy Thanksgiving, guys. See you at Tim Hortons on Wednesday. Whoa, Rob McDonald showing up at Tim Hortons. I look forward to it. Bit of rivalry, yeah. I didn't even notice you put all this text up here, John, so I apologize for not putting it up earlier. Um, uh, Actually, I want to put up this one. Yes, Post Wrestling Meetup Wednesday, right before Dynamite, 171 East Liberty Street, 5 p.m. Eastern. Um. Patrons, I will probably release a special code. If you say it to me, uh, you might you might get yourself a little prize. So um, look out for that in your patron mailbox. Also, a video member mailbox. Okay, we got to... Do you think yeah. that the people might show up that are just listeners that aren't going to know what we look like? Very possible. Um, so I feel Every- like... We- everyone, uh, for, for the podcast-specific group, um, I'm Asian, so... When you come up, uh, just just come up and, and just start chatting my ear off, and uh, that's yeah. me. And Way is going to be the one that is uh, very reclusive, keeps to himself. You might not; he's not that approachable. So, just just come talk to me. You can't. You won't be able to miss us. Okay, we go back to our super chats here. This one comes to us from a guy from JJ who sends ten dollars. Thank you. It's for really, the a guy named JJ. It's Thank Jeff you, Jarrett. JJ. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Double J himself. <laughs> Thank you for all your reviews. I'm house sitting and I couldn't figure out their TV setup. You guys always come through. Much love, JJ. Yeah, TV's that's always a pain. Someone else's house, and how does the goddamn TV work? They're unnecessarily complex these days. You know, I, I recommend um, turning the thing off and on. Um, Do you want to know a know, true dude. story? The other day, um, I'm trying to put on Netflix, and I'm getting like the error message, and I was like, ah. I need to reset this. And I was like, how do I reset Netflix? And my daughter, okay? My daughter, who is not even two yet. Daddy, press the green button. Daddy, press the green button. And she's like, hold the green button. And I hold it, and it resets the, the TV. Unbelievable. Was, wow. Oh, my God. It's crazy. She, I mean, she, she'll be doing your taxes soon. Yeah. But. She's learned how to use my phone as well. So. Oh, goodness. Wow. Um. Keep us updated. Edward Sierra sends two dollars. Thoughts on the Japanese Grand Prix? Supermax. Did you watch any of the Japanese Grand Prix this week? 
No, I was uh, totally dead by the end of uh, our Extreme Rules show, so I went. I went to sleep, but I followed all. Well, the- hold on, John. It's a yes. good thing you didn't stay oh, up to watch. I-, I watched it in the morning, dude. I set the race for the time, and then I tack an hour on. It still didn't include all of the race. I'm yeah. so glad I didn't try to stay up. The race was delayed by like an hour and a half because of rain in Japan. And so by the time they started, like there was talk of them not even having being able to restart at all. And these sta- these fans just they sit there. These like, are the uh, most dedicated fans in the world. I would have uh, been out of there. Well, 100,000 plus people paying a pretty penny for a ticket, I'm sure. You know, That's waiting crazy. waiting years at this point for the F1. So I imagine that, that they they were probably – none of them were going anywhere. I'd wait a few more years. <laughs> but by the time it started – I mean, there was a lot of stuff that actually ended up happening for a race that probably, you know, at one point wasn't supposed to Well, the championship was decided. Champion in the weirdest of ways. He didn't even know he was the champion. Until none of us knew. That, like the, okay. <laughs> this is a complaint – I, I cannot explain to you what happened. And th- there is like a – like the FIA has such a – it's insane. Like I do feel like I need to be studying this stuff to understand what's going on. It's so complicated. Yeah, there there was some debate I think about like who is actually at fault here. Um, But basically the gist of it is mm, – how do I even go on to explain this to as a layman myself? So – so there are penalties that that occur like you know for infractions throughout the race in Charles Leclerc like on the last lap basically went over a chicane when you're supposed to go go through it of course so he went off course and he came in second place Charles Leclerc is also second in the running in the world drivers uh, championship so it means that Max had to get a certain length of gap between them to you know qualify for for the victory after this race Charles Leclerc finishing second would have kept the race going, the the the, the entire the uh, season, the championship race, race going. Yeah. The fact that he got docked the five seconds placed him in third place. Now, even in third place, the world had assumed that the race was still on because we were operating under restricted points, like. Like, you know, because this was a shortened race because of yes. the time limit, John. They had less laps and they had a and time that they had to finish the race by. And therefore, I think everybody, including the commentators, including the teams, thought that the allotment of points was going to be smaller than usual, meaning even dropping to third place, Charles Leclerc was still technically in contention. Um, and that's what the Just interviewer think about thought. That. All the drivers and teams were under the wrong impression. Yeah. Like, and that's the commentators. Yeah, but no doubt. So it wasn't until after Max had finished his race interview, like in public saying, oh, so, you know, uh, you won the race this time. We'll look to win the championship next time. Then they have to call him back to inform him. Oh, by the way, I just got word. uh, You're the champion. (laughs) And it was the most anticlimactic way of like, you know, announcing a champion, you know, based off of this weird technicality and the whole like, f1 twitter was like up in arms about like they got it wrong they got it wrong but it turns out like under their interpretation of this rule book which is very much in my opinion kind of left open to interpretation yeah uh we had a champion this is also not to mention like the the very near tragedy we had with a uh, pierre gasly almost running into a tractor um during these like very terrible rain conditions earlier and on didn't that exact thing happen at the, the japanese Bianchi. grand prix in 2014 that's it. Yeah. So it, it became a pretty newsworthy, you know, race. All right. Let's uh, let's continue through uh, our feedback. Brandon from New Jersey sends two dollars to say on a scale of one to one thousand. How excited are you for Wednesday? Um, 
October 12th. Um, well, depends if we see Brandon or not. Um, I, I, I'm excited to see if he comes to Toronto and introduces himself. For me, it's, you know, if the possibility of seeing Brandon from New Jersey in person at a Tim Hortons, it's no lower than 10,000 minimum. I'm going to predict that he's going to be within 100 feet of me and will be texting me. <laughs> Very possible, too. Lastly, we get a super chat from Hansi, who sends 279, who says, yeet, see you Wednesday. Wow, we're going to have quite the meeting. Okay, that's like. the code word, okay? If you want to know if it's me or Wei, uh, just come up and say yeet. <laughs> yeet. Uh, well, Hansi and Brandon from New Jersey in the same spot. So oh, my God, the a lot powers. Of- a lot of luminaries coming up, so show up at Tim Hortons, everybody. You might even get a sleep. Okay, let's go to forum.postwrestling.com for all of our patrons' feedback here to Raw101022. You want to start us off, John? Okay, Benjamin writes, uh, Some thoughts on Bray Wyatt's White Rabbit gimmick. A few pretty key influences, and that all lead to a more online, cyber-oriented, anonymous, army-style character this time around. Number one, Mr. Robot. Aside from the obvious society-style videos, which themselves were an appropriation of anonymous, the dialogue so far, who killed the world and revel in what you are, sound like pull quotes from some of the F-society mantras from the shows. Did you ever watch Mr. Robot? I'm not familiar with Mr. Robot. Number two, in The Matrix, if you'll recall, Neo is told to hold the to follow the White Rabbit, which is a tattoo on a woman's arm that in turn leads him to meetings, meeting Trinity, another third-generation appropriation. And three, Nine Inch Nails Year Zero. A while back, Nine Inch Nails ran an ARG, the same method. I, I'm familiar with this, this Nine Inch Nails uh, concept hmm. uh, used in the White Rabbit uh, concept. So he's saying it's a similar type of like online sort mm-hmm. of a ch- game thing. Yeah. So he says, I'm hopeful that the supernatural gimmickry is left behind in favor of more production capabilities, a way to connect the showy production to a character that's rooted in real world logic. Something we haven't seen a lot in wrestling is a character that acknowledges and leverages the production environments and communication platforms with a more modern take. Yeah, it's also from the brain trust that brought you the um, uh, four cocks in the opening segment (laughs) and uh, two giant balls for your giant bat. So it evens out. Yeah. Um. Listen, like it's all well and good when like people can produce videos and type in HTML coding on their own in, in these little kind of Easter egg things. It's another when you're trying to integrate those into the body of a live action sports based TV show that has a lot of people working on it at once. So, man, being able to like we'll see. We'll see what this like Rob Fee position is able to um do for creative autonomy, you know, for for somebody. But I do also think that there's a limit to how much p- post-production you can do for what is essentially a live the live theater, you know, it's a live art form. So, um they certainly are going to test their limits, I'm sure, you know. Yep, and- this is the most crucial part of the uh the the reintroduction is now now that he is back is the the actual storytelling and integration of the character on programming and interacting with other characters too we got alex patel who says one of the few raws i've watched over the years and it was a mixed bag the miss segment was atrocious but short good surprises with brock and riddle and the sammy match was fun i love the good brothers returning i didn't love the bailey and candace matches as, as i don't think she's that over to the crowd yeah a little surprised we didn't see more of Bray in person. The DX segment was short and their biggest hits. I was expecting daddy ass chants, but didn't hear them, which was surprising. Maybe less overlap of the audience than I thought based on Cody's pop at WrestleMania. Nonetheless, it was a decent show with title changes and surprise returns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I'm I'm willing to bet that like that overlap is probably not not as big as like we might feel online either. I think like, they also kept it short. Like this, if that had been a 15, 18 minute segment and it yeah, was dragging, uh, they kept it short and they also kind of diffused the situation by calling out Billy Gunn at the beginning. Like it, and the audience didn't even have a chance. I think if that had been the, the, the length of that opening segment with the bloodline, I think it was a very real possibility. Like it's just, it's a very chantable song that can organically get over. And that's a area of the country you would, you would think that it would be prevalent so i think they i'm not going to say they you know kind of constructed this segment with that in mind but i i think you'd be foolish not to think that they believe that to be um a, a potential chant that they would have to combat Nas writes from the barclay center i don't know if the commentators specifically mentioned that the bray segment would just be a replay of extreme rules but from the graphics most of the crowd just assumed possibly naively that bray would be there in person yeah i i don't think they felt bad that they were it was they never advertised bray for this show but the graphic i could certainly see someone you know being misled uh, mm-hmm. by that a lot of people in my section were very pissed of course everyone forgot as soon as brock's music hit great show honestly very satisfied and I suppose that's the hope, you know, is is that um, they would have enough surprises that you wouldn't miss Bray. Um, I think should they have not even shown the graphic? Like, was that where they 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 you know misdirected? Like, should they just not have mentioned anything at all? I, I thought that the graphic certainly kind of tipped it into the side of misleading. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I saw the graphic and I, I could see exactly what they meant um you take away that graphic and i mean it's not like they had ever advertised him so it's hard to fault when there's there's no advertising of it but you know that that audience like there certainly were people i think that specifically bought tickets for the show thinking you show up at the pay-per-view you're going to be there at raw but that's that's a risk you take when they are not flat out stating that and and i don't even think i don't even fault them for you know you had enough on tonight's show and moving that to SmackDown, which it can it can hold its own on Friday. Lastly, we got a Ron from Chicago who says, I like the show. Brock being back was cool and seeing the Good Brothers was a cool surprise. As for Kevin Patrick, I thought he did okay. I have a soft spot for him as before WWE, he used to do interviews and a few games announcing for my local MLS team, the Chicago Fire. So it's nice seeing him doing well and wishing him luck. Okay, well, uh, thank you, Ron from Chicago. Okay, That's going to wrap up the show, Uh, hitting up here on the two-hour mark. We are going to be live Wednesday, 171 East Liberty Street at Tim Hortons, and Wednesday, tickets go on sale for our live event, our live Q&A, our five-year anniversary special happening Saturday, November 19th in Newark, New Jersey. All of that information will be up on the site, and we'll have all the information for you of where to go buy tickets uh, this coming Wednesday. So we hope to see many of you out there uh, the same day as Full Gear, just minutes away from the Prudential Center. And also, Braden and Davey will also be there as well as part of the show. So they'll be uh, joining us up on stage, and uh, it'll be a full day of, uh, of that, plus more post-wrestling personalities I'm sure will be showing up as well. All right, that's it for us. Uh, We will have something special up for Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso members on Tuesday, and we hope to see many of you on Wednesday. That is it for Rewind or Raw.